Of all the words we could talk about today, there is one that we're going to partly focus on more than anything else. Humility. It's not exactly a word that we love to embrace openly, but when we see it in others, we absolutely are drawn to it, right? If you meet someone who actually has a humble attitude or a humble approach, there are people that we tend to gravitate towards, and, and yet as we've been going through this conversation of being fully known, humility is not only the appropriate characteristic of who Jesus is, but it's an invitation to a life that we all should be a part of as Christians. Now don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. We live in a world that uh, tends to be focused on itself, right? We tend to gravitate towards one of these two areas, whether it's self-indulgence or self-degradation. I mean, I think about it for a moment. I mean, I, I, I love it when we're, uh, when we're watching a basketball game this afternoon, right? And somebody puts the ball in the basket and they do this, you know? I, I enjoy the momentum when that happens. I enjoy it when somebody scores a touchdown and they stand in front of the, the camera to kind of bring the moment in. I, I love that stuff. I love it when people are celebrating. I love, I love going to a movie and seeing the hero kind of lean in and give you a smirk and raise his eyebrow. I mean, I love those moments. There's always that big machismo that seems to show up in that moment where everybody's kind of like, yeah, I'm one of the winners. You know, I'm the champion. But as a Christian, to pursue that kind of a lifestyle tends to push against the very very direction of who God is trying to shape us to be. But here's what happens when Christians decide to be humble, right? We, we still kind of go before self-degradation or we tend to lean towards some sort of self, self-indulgence. But let's say like this morning, you know, the, 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 the band, the singers, they brought it this morning, right? Lots of energy. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like I did a little 10-minute workout this morning. I felt good this morning, you know, getting it going. But, you know, let's say we walk up to Aaron and we say, Aaron, man, I just, I just appreciate so much what you do and how you work with the team. And if Aaron responded this way, let's say he says, oh, it's nothing. Oh, it's just God. You ever been around Christians that are like, oh, it's nothing. Oh, it's just God. My question always is saying, oh, are you saying what you give to God is nothing? Or are you saying that God is really nothing? I'm not sure what you're trying to say. Oh, yeah, that may be no. I'm sorry, it's not very pastoral, but that's, that's the way I think, right? I mean, I think when somebody says, wow, what a gift. Thanks for, thanks for sharing your gift. Thanks for bringing your talents and your abilities. You know, you know what as Christians we should say? You're welcome. You're welcome. Because as Christians, what we're doing is using the very gifts and talents that God has given us. And so what we do is sometimes we just kind of push it away because we don't want to make it about ourselves. But in other words, we are kind of making it about ourselves. But if we truly want to acknowledge when God has done something in our lives, it's appropriate just to say, you're welcome. You're welcome. And to be reminded that it's God that's done this in your life. Or, or maybe it's self-indulgence. Sometimes we use our gifts and talents. And let's say somebody doesn't say thank you. You ever been there? You serve freely, or maybe you, you serve in an area and you want certain things to be a certain way. And what if they don't say thank you? Do you quit? That's not humility. That's about, I do it because of the way it makes me feel. In other words, I do it because I want it to bring me something. And both of those are not humility. 
Both of those are not recognizing what God may be doing in your life and in your walk. And so today we want to talk about how how do we really engage in a life of humility? What does it look like to live in an appropriate life before humility? And what, what is God doing in the process of humbling us? And what's the character that's going to come from our lives? If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're closing out our series called Fully Known. And we've just kind of said that this idea of being fully known is understanding that God knows our plight, our journey, our direction, because God has led by example through the person of Jesus. He understands temptation. He understands trials. He understands hardship. He understands what it means to be poured out, poured out of his life and still... Uh, Endure the hardships that are all around us. And it was written to a group of people who are in an area that we would now call Turkey. And there as Christians, they're trying to live this way after Jesus, but they're finding persecution. They're finding hardship. Chapter 1, we talked about how God has really called us to holiness. And holiness is not just about this moral fiber that we need to have. It is about growing in the character of God, but it's also about living out the mission of God so that we might be set apart to live the character of God on mission into a world so that the world might understand the very nature of God through our lives. Chapter 2 began to talk about, though, submission, remember? And submission is the mindset that we need to have as Christ followers, as leaders, that we are, we are mindful that God is at work in our world and in our lives. And because of that, we should begin to bend our knee to the will of God so that God begins to work in every area of our life. Chapter 3, though, <laughs> tied submission into the reality of suffering. That even though we surrender our lives before God and we submit our lives to God, it doesn't mean everything's going to go our way. In chapter 4, made this basic statement that when we step up our faith, when we follow out in obedience before God, as Christians, we will stand out in the world around us, not for our glory, not for our credit, Not so that God puts some big badge on our chest that says honor student, but that there would be clarity in the darkness of the world that the light of Jesus is as ever-present today as it was the day he walked this earth. And chapter 5 presses into humility. Let's look where it starts. It starts with a portrait of leadership in the church. Here's what it says, 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. We're going to read through about the first part of verse 5. Here's what it says. To the elders among you, this is not talking about older people. This is literally talking about the leadership of a local church who have been set apart to help cast the vision and mission of the church and to protect that flock so that it follows after God. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must or you have to, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing a dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will also receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. Let me pause there. Peter's wrapping up this letter to the churches. This letter is being sent around to the households and to the gatherings of Christians all throughout this region in Turkey. And God has ordained or set up that there would be leaders over these groups, over these flocks of believers in Jesus. And their goal is to serve in a way that best represents who Jesus is. It's a mantle of leadership, though. It's an upside-down vision of leadership, though. It's a serve-first, others-first mentality. We have this in our church. Our elders are critical to the trajectory of our church because not only are they people of prayer, not only do they help make decisions about where our church will go or how it will function, but their greatest concern is that they make sure that the spiritual barometer of our church, that the way that we function, the way that we make decisions, the way that we would interact with each other would raise up a flock that lives and reflects the very heart of God. And here's the challenge is that oftentimes those in leadership can very easily substitute our own ability for power, control, and influence into our own leadership. And Peter's saying that that's not the way of Jesus. That's not how our churches should be reflected. And frankly, I'm so thankful that we have the elders in our church that we do. Because in the few years that I've had the privilege to walk alongside them, I've had a chance to see growing pains. I've had a chance to see both wins and losses, struggles, chances for, for God to begin to rewrite, reset, or, or maybe even bring us to a sense of repentance at time. And our elders have always been the first to say, not our will, but your will, God. Peter speaks to this willingness to shepherd. Some people may say, well, yeah, who wouldn't want to be in charge? That's not what God's calling us to. Can I just say this little crude pastoral ex expectation? Have you ever had to care for sheep? Have you ever had to care for sheep? They eat, and when they eat, they... Part of a shepherd's job is to not only give directions so that sheep can eat and drink, but to clean up the very mess that may happen because... Sheep happen? Can I say that, right? Right? Let's go on to our passage. I'm, I'm wound up for Baptism Sunday. This message could last an hour and a half. We've got a second service we've got to take care of today. Here's what it says going on in, in, five, a second, in the second half of uh, verse 5. It says, so all of you, everybody who, who hears this letter, who hears this message, every one of us, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God, what's that word say? opposes. You never want to be an opponent of God. Can I tell you that? God opposes the proud, but he shows favor or grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, so that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxieties on him because God cares for you. Be alert. Be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Because you know. You know that the family of believers throughout the world 
is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Peter begins to define humility through a picture of eldership, but calls the entire church to be that. And he makes this statement that we should clothe ourselves with humility. Oftentimes, a, a word study can give you understanding, but oftentimes, a picture of a word study helps us understand it even better. So Peter says this, you need to clothe yourself in humility. It's the idea that a servant would understand that when they got up out of their bed, they put their foot, feet on the floor, and they began to get dressed for the day that they would put on their uniform, they would put on whatever it is so that they could do the task of the day. And then they would put their uniform on in such a way that it might, it might stay on, right? It wouldn't come off. The idea was that when you clothe yourself, you put humility on in such a way that it doesn't come off until you intentionally take it off. And so as Christians, you think about that for a moment. Peter calls all of us and says, hey, you, we've got a task to do. We are called to serve. We are called to be set apart. We are called to live in a life of submission before God. We are called to live out, and even if we're suffering in this world. But what we need to do before everything else is we need to clothe ourselves, put on the very uniform, the uniform of Jesus, which is one of service. Service to God before others. And when we clothe ourselves, it's not something we just throw on and go to the grocery store, right? It's not like just putting on a ball cap and not doing our hair, right? I mean, I, you feel my pain, right? Clothing yourself is dressing yourself in such a way that you stay clothed in that manner until your task is done. And so these Christians are hearing this statement of, hey, let, let, let's, let's do this. I mean, they've been hearing this conversation for, for all the initial chapters, haven't they? Being a Christian is tough. Following after Jesus is tough. You're not always going to get your way. You're going to experience persecution. You've got to have a mindset that you, you can stand in the midst of this. And this translates to our world today. So many of us are up against it. In our work, in our marriage, in our wallet, whatever it may be, we are up against it. And frankly, if we do not clothe ourselves in humility, what we begin to do, even as Christ followers, is we begin to rise up. We begin to stand up to fight. We begin to make it more about ourselves. And we harden our heart, we cloud our minds, and we just press through with our own will and our own might. And Peter's saying, what, what would happen if we would clothe ourselves with the attitude of Jesus in our work? in our home, in our play. You know, humility before God is about learning to live under the authority of God. That all that I am and all that I do would first and foremost be surrendered before God. From the way that I think, to the way that I feel, to the way that I speak, to the way that I act. Everything is under the will of God. Why? What's Peter trying to say? You might want to write this one down. This one's from the heart. If you ain't humble, you're going to stumble. If you ain't humble, you're going to stumble. You cannot fight God for your will and your way and be at peace with God. You cannot grow effectively before God just because you are fighting for your will and your way. 
There is a maturity that happens when we say in our lives, God, it's your will, it's your way. And for for many of us, it's about surrendering our lives before God, but it's also about recognizing that we surrender to God's word. We surrender to God's leaders. We surrender to the very prompting of God's spirit in our lives that we might be able to be lifted up. Lift it up. I mean, we think about this for a minute. Mark chapter 10, 31. Jesus teaches that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. John 3, 30. Uh, we're, we're taught that he must increase and I must decrease. Uh, Proverbs three thirty four, which is where part of this passage comes from, says, God mocks the proud, but he blesses the humble. The humble. So we're called to humble ourselves under God's mighty and powerful hand so that he might lift us up, right? He might lift you up, meaning he, God, God does the raising, right? May, meaning it's his choice and his time when that happens. Lift, it's by his strength, not by your might or your performance or your wallet or the name on the back of your jersey. It is God who lifts you up. And up means to him. Isn't it interesting that the posture of humility brings promotion of proximity to God? That when we humble our will and our way, God is drawing us closest to him. Why? Because our self-promotion is not creating distance. Our public agenda of ourself is not stiff-arming God. When we are humbled before God, God's able to pull us close. As parents, have you ever, have you ever gotten in an argument with your children? Good, I knew this was, a, this was the family I want to be. And you, you've never had that issue. Especially when they're young. And then if you tried to hug them after you've reprimanded, yeah, some of us are starting to laugh, right? You know? So you have this conversation with your child. They're really upset with you. They think that you're completely wrong. You confront them in that. And then when you're done, say, well, hey, let's give dad a hug. We're, we love each other, right? 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 You can see all the pride of their heart is on their sleeves. And there's no proximity. There's no closeness. There's only distance. But maybe over time you have that relationship with your child when it seems like they begin to get it or they begin to understand it or they at least honor your relationship and you say, all you have to do is say, hey, that's too far. Hey, I, I really wish you would choose differently. And they respond to that request or to that intent and the hugs aren't so distant. Matter of fact, you don't even have to grab them because you know that there's, there's proximity, that humility has won the day and pride is dissipating. That's so true about us before God. We need to understand that, we, that God is not specifically calling us out, but he's calling us up. God's saying, hey, your will, your way, we understand that. We see your perspective. I understand how much life is difficult around you, but if you, if you would trust 
If you would understand that my care is greater than anything you're going through, you begin to realize that God is at work in this entire moment, that God may be even churning and stirring up in even the most difficult moment of your life, that God is right on the midst of shaping and changing you. When you're anxious, you begin to know God cares about my anxiety. When the enemy is after me, we trust that God's going to give us the strength to endure when life and faith seems uneasy and full of doubt, we're reminded that God is not, that we are not alone because God is with us. When we're suffering and it seems like it's too much to bear, we know that God has given us strength. God is working in us, building us up. When everything around us seems like it's pressing in and closing in around us, we are reminded that we are victorious because it was Jesus who fully knows, fully understands, who gave of himself. He died a death on the cross. He paid our payment for sin. He gives us life everlasting. God has poured himself out to our world. And we are victorious with him. Friends, Peter wants us to know, though, that the enemy will not stop. The enemy is always on the prowl looking for its next meal. And Peter correlates that the hidden lion, that you cannot hear his footsteps towards you, that the moment that you rise up in pride is the moment that you're clearest in his sight. We have to stay humble. We have to stay hungry before God. We have to long that his will and his will is always greater. But we should also be reminded from this passage that God's promises are just as good today. God's promise to lift us up should not be forgotten. And maybe while you're trying to get your mindset on what this humility is, hear the promise that God is for you and with you. We should be reminded that the promise of salvation is given by Jesus through his grace alone. There is nothing that you can do to change that. The promise of his spirit in us is God's gift to us. The promise of his will being greater than the world around us is his power at work within us. The promise that he cares for you. The promise that he will fight for you and fight your battles. The promise over sin and death, to defeat a roaring lion, to know that you already stand victorious. These are the promises of God so that we stand with boldness, with confidence that our life, as jacked up as it may be, as messed up as we may be, as much as we've done to ruin it all, God has been at work to people and generations before you, and they trusted God. In some of the most difficult times of persecution in the world. And we still stand as testimony that what God did then, God can still do now. God wants to lift you up. Not for your gain, not for your popularity, not for your credit, but for his. Suffering is at work in all of our lives. And when suffering occurs, the grace of God is even more at work in us. While we have a real but limited enemy, God has conquered sin and death through Jesus. Our victor is our victory. And Jesus will fight for our behalf. God's promises are just as good today.
as they were for these group of Christians. Listen to what he says in verse 10 and 11. Here's what he promises. And the God of grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power and the glory forever. Amen. Peter says, hey, hey, hey. The God who's called you to this eternal understanding that he's at work in our lives for all of eternity, once we've gone through this temporary struggle, God will raise us up for him, his glory, his honor. He gives us four quick promises that we will be restored. Think about that for a moment. Is your marriage broke? Is your wallet empty? Is your job environment crisis? God can restore that, can restore you. He promises that we'll be strengthened, feeling weak, exhausted, anxious, overwhelmed. Trust God and allow his strength to grow in you. That we would be firm, decisive, sure-footed about the direction and clarity of our life. And we would be steadfast, meaning we'd be faithful. Understanding that the day to day following after Jesus will one day lead us into a pattern and a habit that it's second nature. Living for his glory and his honor no matter what comes your way. Friends, we are fully known to reflect more of Jesus. To reflect more of Jesus. Friends, if you ain't humble, you're going to stumble. And if you're in a popularity contest with God, that your will and your way can have the day, you will find yourself struggling. Struggling. So let me just ask you, when you sense the apathy of your heart and the confusion of your mind, the rebellion of your will, the brokenness in relationship, is there anything that you know that God wants you to bend your will towards in obedience that may be the very thing that will lead you towards once again standing in confidence that God is at work God is with you, and God is for you. Let's move to our time of response. There's perhaps nothing more humbling than the act of baptism. Baptism is literally where we bring our friends and our family and our peers and we walk them to the middle of the room and we step into this, this basin. We baptize this way because baptism, this dunking, is the expression by which Jesus was baptized. 
It gives us this portrait of our, our death to ourself and being in new life with Christ. The old is gone and we are a new creation, becoming a new person for God's glory and in front of others. You know, you think about it for a moment. Everything about baptism is humility. Openly, you're making a statement that you trust that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is enough to pay for your sins. Personally, you're trusting that me or whoever does your baptism today, that they'll plunge you under the water and they'll bring you back up, right? I don't know how many times people joke about that. How long will I be under? How long do I need to keep you under? You know, that's what I always like to have. There's nothing magical about the water. But there's something very significant when as believers we pause and we say we're pushing all of our faith into the center on Jesus. We are saved by his grace, his work, his will, his way. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is our salvation. It is the forgiveness of our sins. It is God who gives us his Holy Spirit. It is God's work in us. But like a gift given to us, God says, you have faith. And through faith, your obedience, your response back to God, this work of salvation begins to show up throughout your entire life of every day putting on your apron, living in humility, and following after Jesus. Today there are friends who will baptize friends. Friends, I'll tell you, I, I like doing baptisms, I really do. But I get why scripture says that Jesus' disciples baptized more people than him, right? Because discipleship should show up when parents lead their kids to Christ or friends lead their kids to Christ. I'm not saying every parent needs to dunk their kids or I'm not saying every friend needs to dunk their friends. Because those of us that get baptized, we, we maybe we have somebody that we want to baptize us. And it's a huge privilege, whether you're pastor, whether you're friend, whether you're parent. But it is a beautiful testimony as a church. When we get ready to do these baptisms and families gather around the tank or small group friends show up around the tank or, or individuals just come along and are part of that baptism because it's a, it's a testimony to how God is at work with us. And several of our friends today have made decisions that they're planning on making this baptism happen. You need to get your tissues ready. A grandpa's going to baptize his grandchild. A ministry friend who's volunteered is going to baptize a ministry friend. I mean, you're going to see God at work in our church, both in those who are surrendering before God and those who are being obedient and leading others to Christ. Some of you are in this room and you've said, ah, I forgot that today was baptism Sunday. I wish I had planned for this. Those baptisms are always fun because we plan 
to bring extra shorts and t-shirts and things that you may need and towels. And even if you've got brunch plans at 1030 somewhere, we can squeeze this in this morning. Don't let this day go by without responding in humility to what God is doing in your life. Now, let me say this one caveat. Students and children, if you've not talked to your family, I would ask that you talk to your family first. We can do baptisms anytime that you want. But adults specifically, if today is the day, then let's make it happen. I'm going to go ahead and ask everyone to stand right now, if you would. As Christians, we're reminded that Scripture says in Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And so out of kind of a, a pattern of tradition, we take a confession of faith. A public declaration that we believe the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is enough for our sins, is enough for our salvation, is enough for our eternity. And we just say this phrase that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if you believe that today, I'm going to ask you to repeat that after me. Can you do that? So please repeat this after me. I believe... That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Friends, that's our anthem. If you've made a decision to be baptized today, maybe you have friends or family that are going to help with you, or maybe you're spontaneously deciding you're going to get baptized, can I ask you to do something right now? I'm going to ask you to go ahead and leave and go out these front doors on the side. There's a group back there with towels and things to get you ready. So go ahead and start to move. Begin to walk out on the sides and on the back. As they make their way to the, to the, to the back of the stage and they get ready for this, I want you all to be, begin to pray for them. There are people in this room that have been praying for a long time about this decision and maybe they're nervous standing in front of you. They're uncomfortable about what it means to really pour themselves out in front of you. Pray for the people that are in this room still that for whatever reason are fighting in their heart to not do what they know. Scripture has challenged them to do and to be obedient to a decision that they know they've already needed to make, but for whatever reason, they just kick it down the road one more week. For those of you who are still in the room, we have a chance to respond as well. There are benches in the front where some of us will come to pray. We should be praying about the hearts and the lives of those who are about to make decisions today. For those of us uh, who believe in the sacrifice of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we go to these tables where there are candles that are lit for a time of communion. Communion is a time where we celebrate and commemorate what God has done on our behalf, that Jesus was the one who said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And so as we consume the bread and we drink the juice, we are celebrating that Jesus has paid our price. We are commemorating that in the same way, our lives are surrendered back to God.
And then we will also give of our tithes and offerings, or maybe there's a decision of prayer or something you've written on the connect card, a next step of faith. We want to encourage you. There are four give and respond boxes in the room where you can give your tithes, you can give your offerings, or even grab your, your phone and use the Give app to respond. But as we sing these next few songs and we prepare for the baptism of our families and friends, may we respond in this room back to God first. Let's respond.